I'm going to turn tonight to Ezekiel 22, please. So Ezekiel 22. I welcome you all here this evening. And for those who watch online as well, especially on such a, a cold evening and slippy night, well, we trust the Lord will bless us and warm our hearts even as we gather around His Word. So Ezekiel chapter 22, please. And we will just read the last two verses of this chapter together and then we'll look to the Lord and then bring the Word that God has laid upon my heart. So let's, let's hear the Word of the Lord. Ezekiel 22 and the verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Amen. Let's just bow in prayer, please, briefly, and ask the Lord to come and use the word to even exercise our hearts. Let's pray. Our gracious God, loving Father, we thank the Lord for thy presence already. We thank the Lord for that word on Sunday morning. And Lord, we sang, God is here, and that to bless us. And we thank the Lord that thou art, uh, Lord, one of our number. We are assured of that. And Lord, we come to thee now, and we ask that thou would give help, even as we gather around your word. And I pray, O God, that you will forgive me of my sin and wash me, Lord, from daily defilement in the Redeemer's blood. I confess my need of that cleansing. And I thank the Lord you have promised that you would forgive, you would wash those who asked. And so, Father, Lord, I pray that you would now fill me with thy spirit. And by faith, I take the promised Holy Ghost. And I pray, O God, that thou will help me to speak unto this people, thy people. Lord, a word that would be a blessing. Lord, a challenge to them. It would instruct them and edify them and build them up in their faith. So, Lord, hear us and shut us in with thee in the moments that we have together tonight. For this we ask all in the Savior's name. Amen. Ezekiel was 25 when he and his wife were taken captive to Babylon in 597 BC, along with 10,000 other Jews. And then another five years later, when he was 30, God called him to the ministry. He was one of the few who was both a prophet and a priest. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah, who was 20 years his senior, and also of Daniel, who was around his same age. It's said that his ministry lasted there in Babylon for 22 years. Now at this time, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken uh, because, uh, taken captive by the Assyrians because of uh, their sin. And Judah was about to make the same mistake as her sister and follow her into captivity and fall to Babylon. And this is the period in which Ezekiel is ministering to the Lord's people. Now the book which is named after the prophet is composed of 48 chapters and it's almost cut in half by its subject matter. The first half concerns itself with the time before the fall of Jerusalem and then the rest of the book deals with after the fall. The first part it's mostly concerned with the judgment that will take place because of the sins of Jerusalem and of the nation and then the second part is God's promise of the restoration and future glory of his people. And chapter 22, it falls in the first section before the fall of the city of Jerusalem. Now, just to give you an outline of this chapter, because we didn't take the time to read it, in verses 1 
to 5, the word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel, and he was commanded to pronounce uh, a judgment upon the city. The city, which was once referred to as the holy city, is referred to there, I believe it's in verse 2, as the bloody city. And that was in reference to her, well, her judicial murders, her sacrifice of children upon the pagan altars, her rebellion against God by her idolatry, and her injustice against her own people. And God was pointing out there that it was their own sin. And they were the ones that were causing their own judgment to draw near to them. And because of that, they would get no sympathy from, well, any nation. Rather, the nations round about them would mock them. Then in verses 6 to 12, well, Ezekiel, he turns from the sins of Israel in general to the sins of the leaders and the princes in particular. Each of the leaders, they used their power to shed blood and to self-service themselves instead of uh, for the glory of God. Verses 13 to 16, God reveals his response to their wickedness. He tells them that he smites his hand, or we could read it that he lifts up his fist and he beats his fist against his own people, the corrupt leaders, and he tells them that because of their sin, they're going to be scattered among the nations. And then he brings a very vivid picture to bear upon this whole thing in verses 17 to 22, because he sets forth their judgment under the imagery of gathering Israel into his furnace of judgment. You see, once Israel was regarded as a precious possession of the Lord, but here now she is likened unto the dross or the worthless impurities. But ultimately, all this was going to happen for the purpose of refining. And we see that in verse 22, when Ezekiel talks about judgment being used as the refining of silver through the smelting and the melting process. And history does show that when Israel returned from her captivity, well, she never went back to her her idolatry. And in that sense, at least that sin was purged from the nation by this judgment. Then in verses 23 to 29, we have further elaboration of Israel's sin, the sins of the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people. And like a prosecuting attorney, the Lord through Ezekiel, well, he names all the reasons why, why the defendant is guilty and why they must be punished. And that brings us to the last two verses of this chapter and verses 30 and 31. Those well-known words that we have in verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And we're going to look at this verse this evening under the acronym GAP, G-A-P, which I have put for this phrase, get at the prey, get at the prey. You see, we often from the front say that we shouldn't allow any gaps in our prayer meetings. And if a gap should arise tonight, let this little anacronym prompt you to pray. Get at the prey. Let that work upon your heart. There's a gap. Get at the prey. Now, three points from this verse. As we're taught in college, as one man said to me tonight, you have to have a three-point sermon. But three points, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's two, but tonight it's three. Firstly, consider the investigation made. 
You see, the Lord is the one who is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And he says, and I sought for a man among them. Now the Hebrew word for sought, it's in the tense, which signifies that this was something that was done intensively and continually. God is God. He obviously, he knows all things. But this language here, it's after the manner of men. How they would make a, a search for such an individual. And this is done to convey to us the, the great interest that God has in this matter of seeking or searching for a man, for an individual. It's as if God himself, he took a prolonged and a thorough search. You see, Ezekiel, he was not the one who made the search, but it was the Lord. And the reason for that is, well, you know that man can only look in the outward appearance, but it's the Lord who looks on the heart. And therefore, it was the condition of the heart that the Lord was most concerned about when he was making this search. And you know, it's still the state of the heart that concerns the Lord the most as we gather to pray. That's what he's interested more in, we might say, than the outward display of Ordry, how we speak, how we present ourselves, even how we appear. God is after and he's seeking for those whose heart is right towards him. And that is why we always must pray, even before we come out to a place of prayer, for the Lord to search us, for the Lord to purify our hearts, and for the Lord to prepare our hearts. Because God is interested in the heart. But also notice here, with this investigation made, that God made a search among them. He made a search among them. That is his own covenant people. He didn't make a search among the heathen nations round about, or the pagan populace, but among them. His people. A nation that was born through redemption. A people who had the special revelation of God, the laws, the statutes. Individuals who had seen a manifestation, many manifestations of the glory, the splendor of God, signs and wonders. Individuals who had the ordinances of God concerning the proper worship of God, the priesthood and all the sacrifices, they also had the prophets. This was the people who God sought for a man among. A people with no excuses. Now the fact is, God can use whatever He wants to fulfill His purposes and to bring His will to pass. God can use the angels. Read of that in Genesis chapter 19 in the verse 1, sending them on to Lot. He can use a burning bush, Exodus chapter 3 verse 2. He can use a donkey, Numbers chapter 22 and verse 28. He can use a raven, 1 Kings 17. He can use the rocks if he so chooses. Luke chapter 19, he tells us that as well. But more often than not, he's looking for a man. Now just so that no one excuses themselves for the message tonight, from the message. Yes, this word man here, it does simply mean a male individual. It can mean that. But it can also be translated whosoever or a person. So read it like that. And I sought for a person. 
I sought for whosoever among them. And ladies, let that be a little note to you. This is not a men's prayer meeting. It's not. We desire you to pray, but above all, the Lord is desirous of you to pray. He's seeking for the whosoever. You know, we often find in a prayer meeting that all it takes is for one individual, whoever it is, who has maybe never prayed before, or who has maybe never prayed in a long time to pray. And it's like the floodgates open. And one after another, for whatever reason it is, it seems to be people pick up uh, and uh, the, the labor of prayer. God is looking for the whosoever tonight. Among his people to make up the gaps in the prayer meeting. And I believe you had, had such a prayer meeting last night. Continuous prayer. You see, the Lord here, he sets down no requirement or detailed qualifications as to who this person should be or could be that he is searching for. Now, it's obviously, it must be one of his own people, and it must be someone who is walking in fellowship with him, and it must be someone who believes that he is a God who answers prayer. But notice he does not say here, I sought for a priest, or I sought for a prophet, or I sought for the king. Or I sought for some prince or some elder among the people. Nor did he say, I sought for an old man or a young man or a well-known man or a well-educated man. He said, I sought for a person, a man among them. He only sought for a man. Wasn't even a multitude of men, just one. And you know, it only takes one to fill the gap in a prayer meeting. That's all it does. Just the one. To fill that little gap. Isn't that right? Just one person to come in. You see, it's usual. Why was the Lord speaking in this way? Well, it's usual. That the shadow of one man or woman's influence. It lies over a nation, a city, an organization, a people. Might even say a meeting. And that's what God had in mind here when he was making this investigation. He just wanted one person whom he could use to turn things around. You think of the influence of shadow that Nebuchadnezzar had over Babylon. Or Cyrus had over Persia. Or Alexander the Great had over the Greek Empire. Or Caesar Augustus over the Roman Empire. Or the two queens, notable queens in our own land, Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth II. America had its George Washington. What would Protestantism be without Martin Luther? Or Presbyterianism without John Calvin or John Knox? We could even say Methodism without John Wesley. The city of Bristol was influenced by George Mueller. The city of London by Charles Spurgeon. God is looking for a man. We have to say, even in our own denomination, the hand of God is upon Dr. Paisley, bringing a people out of apostasy and ecumenism. God was making investigation. He was looking for a person, a whosoever. And you know, Israel was no different. Her history was shaped under God when he took a man or a person. Think of Moses or any 
of the other prophets like Elijah, or some of the judges like Gideon, or a woman called Deborah. He used, and he was looking for individuals, and God is still looking for individuals. And in that, there's a twofold challenge for us. First, we're to pray. We are to pray that God would raise up such men and women. But secondly, we are to be the man and woman that God can use. If he's searching and he finds us, can he use us? You know, we often come to the prayer meeting. Let's focus down on what we're engaged in tonight. We come to the prayer meeting and we pray that the Lord will help others to pray. And that's what we should do and that's what we ought to do. But you and I ought to come and be willing to be the person to pray. To make up the gap. To be the one that the Lord is looking for to lift up their voice. So the investigation made. But secondly, the intercession required. Why did God make this search? Why was God searching for a person? For the whosoever. Well, the word that reveals it in our verse. That should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Now this phrase is almost identical to what we have in chapter 13 of Ezekiel in the fifth verse. And there it's a charge against the Lord's people. Just go back there to Ezekiel chapter 13 and the verse 5. It's the same sort of language that the prophet uses. He says there, verse 5, Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither hath made up the hedge for the house of Israel, to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. In other places, the word gap, in the scripture it's translated as breach. For example, Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1, Nehemiah said to have builded the wall, that there was no breach left therein. Or Amos chapter 9 in the verse 11, we read, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, and close up the breaches Thereof. Now this statement in verse 30 about a man that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, well, it's full of imagery. And we can understand the word hedge here as a circumventing wall or fence, something that encircles. And you know what I'm going to say? Well, ancient cities, they were protected by their walls from the enemy. And if there's a breach in the wall, then it'd be easier for the enemy to enter in, to take that city, to destroy not only the city, but also its inhabitants. You see, the defense of Jerusalem was her God. He was the one who was a wall unto her. Yes, she had physical walls, that's true, but God was the defense of his people. And yet she had offended him, she had grieved him by her sin, and so he had withdrawn his presence from her, and with that, his promised protection. And that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah said the Lord would do in Isaiah chapter 5 and the verse number 5. It's what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. If you read that verse, Isaiah 5 and verse 5, it says, The Lord's speaking, And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof. And it shall be trodden down. 
So the gap, the breach was made by their sin. And it left them exposed to the plundering destruction of the enemy. And this is why God was looking for a man to do two things. Make up the hedge, number one, and then stand in the gap. Now the phrase, make up the hedge, it comes from a word which means mason or repair. In other words, God was looking for someone to build up the moral and righteous fabric of the nation. That's what he was looking. He was looking for someone to build that up again. The moral and the righteous fabric of the people, of the culture, of the nation, of the land, of the city. And that could be done in a variety of ways by godly, a godly life lived out as salt and light in a nation, but also by the proclamation of the Word of God, by heralding out the truth and the standards of God and a call for the people to return to those standards once again. And that's what it means by building up. That's what God wanted an individual to do. He wants you as individuals to do that by your life. Again, lift the moral fabric and the righteous standard off our society. And that's what we're still called to do in our day and in our generation. But more for our focus tonight, the Lord was also looking for a man not only to make up the hedge, but to stand in the gap before him. And the thought there is that he was looking for an intercessor. He was looking for one to interpose, to put themselves between a sinful, suffering people and their offended God and entreat Him for mercy on their behalf. Why? That the land might not be destroyed. And here is the challenge off and the call to intercession. Similar wording to this is found in Psalm 106, if you want to turn to Psalm 106 and the verse 23. And that psalm, really, it summarizes the sins of Israel in the wilderness, primarily concerning the golden calf. Psalm 106 and verse 23, this is what we read. The Lord explains there, therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach? Same sort of language, to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. See, Moses stood in the gap and saved the people of Israel with his intercession on their behalf. The original story of Moses as the intercessor is found in Exodus chapter 32. If you want to go back there, Exodus 32, verses 9 to 14. And that's what's recorded in the Psalms, really. But here's the original account, Exodus 32, and the verse number 9. And we read there, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, So on. And then down in verse 14, we read there in verse 14, And the Lord 
on the back of Moses praying, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And standing in the gap, Moses stood between the Lord and the people, pleaded for mercy on the basis of a covenant, and the Lord hearkened unto his prayer. Now, for sake of time, I don't have time. Well, there, to, to use it. For sake of time, I don't have time. I cannot go into the beautiful type of Christ and his uh, standing between God and us. Standing between a, an offended God and us. But it's a wonderful thought to dwell off on. And, and it's the basis, what he did, it's the basis for all our intercession. But we are taught here our responsibility to stand in the gap as intercessors for others. Now get this, brethren and sisters. Get a hold of this tonight. Because this is what we're taught here. Even though Israel did atrocious, wicked things and were a stench in the nostrils of a holy God, he was still at that time looking for a man who would do this who would inquire of him that he may spare the land. And surely there's the grace and the mercy of God seen in that. You think about the sins of our land. No different from the days of Ezekiel. And yet if our land is to know the grace of God poured out, then the intercession of God's people is required. Abraham, he interceded for Sodom. And you and I are to intercede for Balamina. Let there be no gaps. Get out to praying. Why? Because it would appear here if God found the man, a man, a person, he would have spared the land. Finally, this evening, consider the, uh, the incomprehension declared. Even one, just one, that's all God was looking for. To build up the wall, stand in the gap and pray. And you can almost hear his tone of astonishment. After he makes his search, because the Lord says, But I found none. Not even God, whose eyes are in every place and knows the hearts of all men, could find someone to pray for the nation. Now, one man made this comment when we think about a man. He said this, such a statement is hyperbole. Purposeful exaggeration for a fact. It hardly means that there was no one in Jerusalem who was not righteous or who was righteous. Obviously, there were prophets who were faithful to the Lord in Judah at the time. Ezekiel, he was in Babylon, remember? But there was others in uh, Judah in its last days, men like Jeremiah and Habakkuk and, and Sephaniah. But it means, rather, there were so few among the people who were righteous and who prayed that the net effect was as if no one prayed at all. You may guarantee Ezekiel prayed. Men like Jeremiah prayed. And Habakkuk prayed and Sephaniah prayed. But there were so few who were righteous and so few who sought the Lord in prayer. It basically had 
no effect. In chapter 14, the Lord said that even if Noah, Daniel or Job were, were in the city, it would not be spared for their righteous lives. But the implication here is it would be spared it would be spared if the nation was prayed for. That's what we're taught here. But the people, they didn't understand the danger they were in. And there was no spirit of prayer or supplication among them. There's none to stand in the gap, and there's none to build up the wall and the moral fabric of society, or very few at least, to, to make an impact. And the destruction of, it, or of Jerusalem would be carried out just as the Lord said here and described here in verse 31. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. The Reverend Horace, he said something very thought-provoking at the week of prayer. And I'll paraphrase what he said. He said, Would your town know the difference when you're gone because your intercessory prayers have ceased? That's very challenging. Would your town, our town, would Balamina, would they know the difference? When we are gone, because our intercessory prayers have ceased. I find it astounding you visit people and they have come out of mainline churches, we might say, back in the old days. And I find it astounding that some of them tell me that even in their day, and you're talking back into the, the 60s and 70s, there was no midweek prayer meeting. That is astounding. We might think, that well, this is something modern. Uh, numbers are falling and cycle around churches on a Sunday evening to, you know, to get a people in. And, well, not as many come out to the prayer meeting anymore in, in this modern age. But that was happening back in the 60s and 70s. And, and my jaw was open in astonishment. But there was no man. There was no spirit of supplication among the people to build up the wall and to stand in the gap. And is it any wonder that the wild boar has come in and devoured their young and congregations are devoid of young people? Brethren and sisters, this is a call to intercession. It's the whosoever. That's whoever God's searching for. Now don't get me wrong. At times it's good to sit in silence before the Lord. But this meeting is convened as a public prayer meeting. And let that spirit of prayer continue from Sunday and last night into tonight. And should a gap arise, whether tonight or in some other night, some other public prayer time. Let that an acronym, 
grab your heart and attention. Gap. There's a gap. Get out to pray. I need to get out to pray. May it be a prompt to you. Because God is merciful. And this verse tells me, had there been a people who prayed and who were walking before him, judgment upon Jerusalem would have been spared. I trust the Lord will encourage you tonight. You could be the means. It could be your prayer. The Spirit of the Lord prompting you. It could be the means to influence this prayer meeting for good. Not that that makes you or me or anyone else any better or greater than anyone else. But he's looking for you to pray the Lord. No qualifications here. As I said, he didn't say about a priest or a prophet or a prince or the king. Just a person. Just a person. It only takes one to fill the gap. And you could be that person tonight. And be willing to be that person. And let's lift up our voices together in prayer before the Lord. Let's just bow for a brief word of prayer. We'll turn, we'll sing a hymn to change your positions and then the Reverend Greer will come and make some announcements. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Father, we come before Thee and we pray that You will continue to pour out the Spirit of grace and supplication upon us. Lord, move our hearts to pray. Lord, the internet will drop off very shortly. And we're going to be shut in with thee. We're not out to impress the world or one another. I pray for your dear people here. Lord, that you will help them to pray. Young and old. Men and women. Those who have prayed for many years. And maybe those who have never prayed before in a public place of prayer. Lord, encourage them. Help them, Father. Lord, continue to draw us closer unto Thee and deepen our times of prayer and fellowship. Uh, Lord, help us to intercede for our town. Help us to plead Thee for mercy. How wicked Israel was with her sin. And yet, Lord, it would seem, it would seem, Lord, You were willing, but Your people were disobedient. So hear our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.